This is Brian Mitor from East Carolina University. You are listening to the Sports Objective, the official, unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective. Probably the earliest we've ever done a show. It's definitely not the latest we've done a show. Depends on where you are with us right now. My good buddy from China Grove, North Carolina, Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you? Doing well, Dave. How are you? Good. Very excited. I know we have a guest who is actually in Omaha. Not from Omaha, but in Omaha, right, Bubba? Yeah, as you see there on the right side of the screen, fired up to have this guy back on the program for the third time. Uh, we caught up with him uh, several weeks ago during the regular season, but uh, joined this um, boots on the ground there in Omaha, Ben Upton of the 11.7 pod. Ben, how's Middle America? It's different. I'll tell you that. The uh, When we when I landed on, let's see, yesterday afternoon, or actually it was yesterday morning technically, and you just get off the airplane, walk around, and it's just so hot, man. Like the the rumors are true. It was like 102 degrees. But overall atmosphere, the, the fans here are great. The people that live in Omaha are awesome. I've had nothing but like a great experience so far. It's, it's really what everybody says. The College World Series is like a bucket list thing that I highly, highly recommend. And I haven't even been to a game yet. Well, well, I can tell you that we're very excited to have you on because uh, I was telling you pre-show in the green room, we were definitely going to be there in Omaha uh, I was thinking it was kind of funny when Bubba told me you were coming on uh, yesterday. Uh, the very fact that I was like, I'm glad you're coming on because the very fact that we're going to be there. It's a matter of time for East Carolina. And why not have uh, one of the best podcasts and a new friend to the show that you've been on a few times with us now. Uh, someone that's there. Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of amenities, what kind of things are there to do for fans? So uh, maybe Bubba Rosenbaum. I, I told him when we go that I'm going to do a road trip with him and his dad. His dad is awesome, and a lot of his, <laughs> his dad's friends are awesome. So Pirate Nation, it, i tell you one thing. I love the Pirates so much that even if I didn't know people, I'd ride with them if they were Pirates going to Omaha. That's how bad. I know Bubba would do the same thing. You can put me in the trunk for how many hours. It's fine with me. Well, hey, whenever the Pirates make it to Omaha, I'll ride in that same car with you. We'll have a good time. But the as far as like amenities go, it's just so neat because everything's downtown. Like stadiums downtown, you got bars and uh, restaurants and everything. But then there's just like so many tents set up, a bunch of vendors, like people that have their custom made College World Series shirts that are for sale, or um, you know just people that are in the baseball community trying to showcase like their talents and things. Like for example, there was a really cool like used glove and bat store that they turned it into things like wallets and coasters and things like that. Things you don't even think about. Um, and they're all there showcasing their stuff. They're so friendly. And, uh, I loved walking around downtown today. I, I probably spent seven or eight hours just walking up and down, checking everything out. You guys are going to have a blast whenever you guys come. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, one of uh, the pirates, very own Othello Meadows, a former basketball star, of the pirates uh, told us that he uh, what was it i can't even remember the name of the bar uh bubba but uh i remember yeah, he told uh, us 
but he said he's going to help us out where he's going to throw a huge party at a sports bar there when we do make it to Omaha. He's a huge, obviously, ECU guy, ECU baseball fan, and we'll uh, definitely have you. When we do that show, we'll definitely have you on, my friend. For sure, no. And uh, I will say, I did see an ECU baseball shirt today uh, walking downtown. It might have been a player, to be honest. It was about a mid-age, no. like 20 or early 20s, maybe late teens, walking around. Looked like a baseball player. I didn't stop and ask him, but you know, he was wearing the ECU baseball shirt. So could potentially be someone scouting it out for future years, trying to see what Omaha is like. Yeah, absolutely. Some someone else um, from Pirate Nation that's very well known. Um, you know, he he coached in the high school ranks in Eastern North Carolina um, for years and years. Oh yeah. He also coached on the college level, served on Keith LeClaire's staff as a volunteer assistant. Um, George Whitfield, um, Coach Whit is very well known out there in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, <laughs> Omaha. You can, you can you can tell we're doing this at uh, twelve forty-five, but uh, yeah. very, very well known out there in Omaha. Um, they say they address him by name when he enters the stadium to have his ticket scanned. They know him. <laughs> no doubt. In fact, uh, he's he's well-connected in the baseball world. Speaking of well-connected in the baseball world, uh, before we talk that, uh, I want to put you on the spot here. Um, what are you hearing about? I know the Pirate Nation, if I don't ask this question, um, they'll be disappointed. The man on the street question over the last week or so is, will uh, Cliff Godwin stay? What are you hearing? Are you hearing he's leaving, not leaving? What are you hearing? Yeah, so uh, I've been hearing a lot of things, and they've all been the same thing. Just intertwined college baseball community. Some very, very well-respected people in college baseball have been telling me the way that they think the dominoes are going to fall is that Mike Bianco from Ole Miss is going to take the LSU job because he played there. His son's playing there right now, Drew Bianco, and Cliff Godwin is going to be going to be the next head coach at Ole Miss. So that's the way I think right now they're in a bunch of like, obviously Cliff Godwin can't go anywhere until Drew Bianco goes anywhere. But I've also heard that LSU, if they don't get Bianco, they're going to go hard after Cliff Godwin. So Pirate Nation, it does not look good. I apologize, but I believe the man that built, or I guess didn't even build the dynasty over there. He he was he came in in 2015, is that right? But really has had a lot of success there. I believe he'll be leaving. All right. Well, you heard it here first on the sports objective. Those uh, people that uh, wake up uh, later on and they actually, there are a lot of people that for when especially weekend shows that we do, uh, they're, they're working in the yard. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're if you're cutting grass right now, uh, then stop. Turn off the mower and uh, <laughs> go back and get you a pirate bread beverage, even if it's eight o'clock in the morning. No, I'm yes. <laughs> um, the very fact, you know what? Uh, I'll say this: whatever happens, happens. Um, what I do know is everybody loves Cliff Godwin. If he goes, there'll be some fans. I think Bubba they'll be upset, but overall, they're not going to be so mad like that he would go to uh i tell you what would not be good for cliff godwin he would never do is he would never go to an nc state in north carolina duke he would never go to an in-state school or like a rival school now that would be don't you think bubba that would be the one way that people would be very angry at cliff godwin yeah i mean that's never gonna happen but you're gonna have that faction if this if one of these moves happen, whether he ends up at LSU or Ole Miss, um, there'll be that faction that, you know, that feels betrayed, especially since the Pirates haven't been to Omaha yet. But, you know, I think most people will, um, whether they necessarily agree with it or not, um, they'll, they'll understand the ones that know a lot about college baseball and LSU, obviously, uh, 
speaks for itself in terms of everything that program has accomplished, especially in the Skip Bertman era, uh, you know, back through throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And then uh, obviously Ole Miss, and they've just been to Omaha, I guess, that one time back in 2014 uh, when Cliff Godwin was part of that staff, his fourth and final season with Ole Miss. Yeah, no doubt. And that was that was right before he came here, right, Bubba, that uh, – but um, the the problem I think is that for us is that we're going to have to be in East Carolina. There are a lot of fans that don't understand the way the college sports works. And what I mean by that is uh, when a coach says that he wants facilities, the one thing I would say um, people are going to have to, if you're in the administration, if you're in Pirate Nation, um, even though we're a quote, quote, football school, um, college baseball is huge for us. Um, if you look at our fans, I mean, we had, what was that, Bubba? Over 5,000 fans eat pretty much every game for the regional. Um, so there's a lot of fan bases that wish they had that those kind of numbers. But as far as the facilities go, he won't say indoor, um, let's be indoor. He won't say um, former uh, player locker room. So when the former players come and work out, they can have their own locker room. He wants to uh, I know uh, the team we played, Vandy, has that. There's like, in other words, the elite programs have that. And the same thing, that he, I know he wants a weight room for his player, uh, for his players to have their own weight room to work out in. There's things like that that would help the process. But, I mean, if it's LSU or Ole Miss, those are the two jobs we know that he would leave the program for. So that's what another thing that hurts is that those two jobs are probably going to be open, mm-hmm. it looks like. Um, but, uh, Bubba, why would he stay? Why do you think he would stay and not take those jobs? So, well, I'll play devil's advocate here. Cause I, why I think we, that, why would we uh, be able to retain Cliff Godwin? Um, uh, because yep. of his loyalty to East Carolina university and, you know, his, um, his mission to get East Carolina and Omaha is not complete and he is making, I mean, he's paid very, very well. Now, obviously it, Ole Miss, I think they're playing, paying Bianco, you know, at least 1.3 or 1.4. And the yeah. numbers that have been thrown out there as far as the new LSU coach have been anywhere from like 1.6 to 1.9. So, yes, he would be three or four uh, times his uh, salary currently. But, you know, making, you know, well over a half a million dollars when you factor in his performance-based incentives, like all, all the uh, things on the field as well as, what this team and program has accomplished in the classroom, you know, and that's not a bad gig to um, be, be making well over a half a million dollars doing what you love to do, where you love to do it at East Carolina. Um, now, obviously with everything that LSU and Ole Miss for that matter can give you in terms of facilities, when you, when you have tens and tens of millions of dollars coming in from, you know, the college football playoff and everything, and, and everything that those SEC programs have that we do not, um, that's the difference. I mean, it's no secret. I mean, if it comes down to finances, which it will not, because, yeah, that's nice, but Cliff has said time and again when he turned down Alabama and then also Mississippi State, um, those jobs were obviously going to pay better than East Carolina. And he just turned down another thing, Ben, he just turned down Texas A&M. They had a group of folks that came in to the Greenville Regional. I know Bubba is the one that told me um, – so I'll give you credit, yeah, Bubba. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you told me about that. So um, the very fact he turned, I mean, they they came at him hard. I mean, Mississippi State folks came at him hard. Alabama folks came. There was a rumor a couple of years ago about Georgia Tech. 
I mean, there's all these different fan bases, uh, fan bases. There's so many different programs that are coming in um, the after. But I was telling the guys earlier today the very fact that we have a, a coach that, you know, it's great to have a coach that everybody wants. I mean, we've had coaches like Scotty Montgomery football that nobody wanted um, <laughs> so um, because the program was so bad. So it's good to have a coach like Cliff Godwin. He is a local guy, uh, former Pirate, uh, certainly under Keith Clear's, um time here with the Pirates, the catcher. Um, he, he checks all the boxes. I hate to use that term, but he does. And so we'll see how that plays out. We're very sad because – um, for our show, we have a guy that's been a big contributor for our extra innings, Corey Glore, who he actually got the job yesterday, being Friday, uh, with the Tulane Green Wave. So he's going to be going there as, as a director of uh, operations there for – is it radio operations? How does that work? I believe he's um, called director, the- director of broadcasting, but obviously Corey had been uh, strictly baseball with us other than you know occasionally filling in for Jeff Charles uh, on the basketball side of things. And then I think this year um, he had, you know, function in a behind-the-scenes role in football, um, you know, doing some stuff in the press box. But this is a big step up in responsibility for Corey, and obviously that means a, a much bigger paycheck. So uh, congratulations to him. But uh, like I told him earlier today in a private text message, you know, just you know, not only do we appreciate what he's done for us here at the Sports Objective, but everything he's done for East Carolina University. And he, he becomes synonymous with East Carolina baseball over the last six seasons and uh hey now we have an excellent contact uh, down with Tulane. Yeah, we know we can party when we go to Bubba <laughs> or Mardi Gras. I mean we go to Mardi Gras, Bubba and I go there, that will be probably the last two guys you'll see at Mardi Gras will be the two of us. But <laughs> um but we definitely when we were in New Orleans we'll definitely uh take him out to dinner or whatever. But so uh, not a great day for Pirate Nation uh, as far as that goes, but uh, especially those of us that are close to Corey. But we're very happy for him personally. Um, because it's well-deserved. He's worked very hard. Let's move on now. Let's talk about the College World Series. I wanted to get that out of the way because people are going, uh, if they listen to our show, they're going, why isn't he asking a guy like Ben Upton about it? <laughs> so we got that question out of the way, the toughest one. Um, what What are your thoughts on on the series? I'll tell you what, Bubba and I have talked about it. We think Bandy's going to win the whole thing. What do you think? Yeah, so if, if Vanderbilt stays out of the losers bracket, they have as good of a chance as anybody. I mean, they're they're the favorites going in. They got Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, the one-two punch that nobody ever wants to see. But I will say, if they do find themselves in the losers bracket, I I don't think they have the depth to get through the losers bracket on the starting pitching side and bullpen. So it's a little bit different, like Vandy team that we've seen in the past. Uh, they actually have a lot of power and some guys that can hit one through nine. So I think they're going to be able to score some runs, but we've seen the back end of their bullpen just explode at some points. And when they're facing good offenses like Arizona or NC State showed me a lot against Arkansas, even Stanford, uh, if they find themselves in the loser's bracket, it's going to be really, really tough for them to battle back. But I will say if they get into that championship series, best two out of three, I mean, you got to love the odds there with Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker throwing two of those games. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, we'll take a look at each of these matchups individually, but let's go very quickly, you know, through the teams, and then uh, we'll talk about the matchups specifically. But uh, you've already touched on some of the specifics, you know, as it pertains to Vandy. But um, since they're the defending national champ, 
Um, I don't necessarily like, like that term defending <laughs> that, that championship's obviously not going anywhere, but uh, you know, they're trying to win a second straight national championship. So just talk about uh, your thoughts on Tim Corbin's club besides what you already said. Yeah. Well, I mean, their leader, Tim Corbin, can't get anything better than that in college baseball right now. He's the face of college baseball coaching side. And I know that there's, there's the whole debate of, you know, does Vanderbilt have, you know, more advantages because they're, they're able to offer need-based scholarships. So they don't actually abide by the 11.7 scholarship rule. There's all of that. But when it comes down to like playing on the field, Vanderbilt has shown over the last six or seven years that they know how to play in Omaha and, you know, coming back with a lot of experience from that 2019 team, especially with Kumar Rocker, who was a freshman at the time. Now he's two years older. They, uh, I would say their biggest strength, of course, Beside, let's put Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker out of the picture. The biggest strength is that their lineup is really, really good. Biggest weakness by far, the back end of their bullpen. And, you know, it, it is tough to score runs in that ballpark. Wind usually blows in. It's a bigger field, so the home runs might not carry out. So I don't know if Vanderbilt's going to be able to slug with some of the teams against better pitching. I I'm trying to talk myself out of Vanderbilt because I just made some bets at the casino about college college <laughs> World Series. But when it comes down to it, like those guys know how to play in Omaha. They're really, really talented. They get some of the best talent every year. I just saw something on Twitter that said that they had the number one recruiting class six of the last seven years, and North Carolina was the best re- recruiting class in 2016. So they've had it ever since then. And, um, I mean, their fans travel well, but – if they are going to get into some trouble, it'll be sixth, seventh, eighth inning. Maybe Kumar Rocker only goes five tomorrow against Arizona. And that's a really good offense that Arizona has. And they're going to be able to tee off on some of the Vanderbilt relief pitchers. You talk about the Vanderbilt bullpen. Um, you know, when we saw those guys and going in, we'd heard about the three M's, um, you know, Maldonado, mm-hmm. Murphy, and um, help me out with the third one. But, uh, you know, uh, Maldonado, uh, he, I think he had struggled at the end of the regular season, but uh, in the postseason, especially last weekend, he pitched very well. And then uh, same with Murphy coming in and closing things out in the night. Yeah, and, I mean, they look good against East Carolina, but boy, some of the strike calls there were a little iffy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could probably talk for hours about the umpiring. I, I, I made it pretty clear on the 11.7 Twitter that I thought the umpiring was a little unfair during that series. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I mean, the bullpen guys Thank you for great. saying that. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it was non-biased here. I just I watched every pitch of every game or both games, and it just felt like the umpiring was way off, not even close. But the you know, that was, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to add just quickly to that. Uh, like we said, that with those, those two guys, it's not like they needed help. I mean, when you have Rocker, <laughs> who's awesome, and when you have Jack Leiter, who's awesome, and as a baseball fan like Bubba and I are, you know. Obviously, you like those guys, but you don't want them pitching against your guys mm-hmm. only because um, because you like them so much and they're such great pitchers. But uh, the fact that those guys are going to go, what, top five and between those two guys, yeah. I mean, sure, picks. Sure. And so they don't need help with the strike zone that's just a little <laughs> bit outside. Yeah. I mean, both sides of the plate, up and down. It just, I mean, the hitters knew, like for East Carolina, I mean, the hitters knew they had a tough task, of course. Like you had to you know, battle these guys and get them out of the game as fast as possible. 
And when you're taking two, two sliders off the plate by six inches, it's like, what, yeah. how are they supposed to compete against that or fastballs that are six inches off the plate? And then you have Gavin Williams getting squeezed a little bit. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a tough scene for umpires, but I mean, it is the game, but I really think that if it would have went a game three, East, like if East Carolina would have won one of those two, I think they had a really good chance to knock off Vandy. I think Vanderbilt knew it too. I, I think Vanderbilt knew they had to win in two. I agree. And yeah, as far as the as far as the strike zone's concerned, I mean, that's one of those things if you bring it up, it's you know, sour grapes. But I, I I like the fact that you brought it up. You know, Ben McDonald, who's an LSU SEC guy, <laughs> brought it up. <laughs> um and several folks who um may have even been pulling for Vanderbilt um brought it up. Um just they they saw they saw what took place and um Vanderbilt was the better club, like Cliff Godwin said. But um, anybody that didn't think that there was an issue with the strike zone wasn't watching the game. <laughs> exactly. No, 100%. But, the only um, person I haven't heard say anything about it is the Whistler. But other than that, I mean, I'm looking forward to meeting the Whistler tomorrow. I, I am. Well, I will find him. <laughs> there, there is. I actually had about a 25-minute phone conversation with uh, Preacher Franklin who is, I think, the less annoying of the two whistlers. Yeah, he's the second, second one. Yep. That's, in his, that's in his words. Uh, he said, you listen to the other one and listen to me. You tell me which one's annoying <laughs> and which one may, may be a little annoying, but not so much. Yeah. And he, he had some funny stories to share about his trips to Omaha and one of the ushers asking him, I think it was in 2014, when Vanny won it all uh, for the first time. They uh, you know, told him, said, hey, and you're gonna to have to cut that out, or the police are gonna drag you out of here. <laughs> he, he said, "Send them all down." He he said, "I'll sue their ass." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually remember that picture on social media. Him standing next to a couple cops at TD Ameritrade. I guess it was 2014. It might have been 2017 or 16. But yeah, no, I remember the, they tried to get the cops on him, and he was just like, "I'm not doing anything wrong." <laughs> But he, he said after that, it was so strange. He said he didn't change anything about the way he was whistling or, you know, when he was doing it. And then they came down uh, later on, didn't have a problem. They brought him a drink or, you know, some popcorn and stuff like that and took care of him. And he, he said it was so strange because he didn't change a thing he was doing. But it was like the <laughs> it was like the fans, just because they saw the usher go down there, even though he didn't change his behavior didn't have a problem with it because they thought it had been handled. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's so annoying to listen to on TV. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just, just, you, you just want to mute that part of the broadcast. Absolutely. Yeah, we were we we're watching the Greenville Regional, and uh, and we got done watching the game, and we're walking out of the stadium, and I got uh, met Bub up in my vehicle. Then I took him to, to his vehicle, and we were watching the end of that that uh bandy series with georgia tech and bubba was starting to do that i'm like wait a minute are you a bandy fan now but it was like it not always annoying but it's very catchy like it's like yeah it is <laughs> it's kind of like a song a brand new song a song you hadn't heard in a while like an earworm you just mm -hmm. get, all of a sudden people are whistling you know mm -hmm. and i was like bubba are you like not a are you like a bandy fan now he's like no yeah. i just like it, it just started to be like a habit for him no, I'm just trying to get on your nerves, Dave. But uh, okay, all right. <laughs> but um, you know, getting back to the baseball, uh, let's talk about that yeah. first matchup tomorrow. You know, two o'clock Eastern time on the Wolfpack. Um, you know, NC State has one of the longest tenured head coaches in the country, and I think uh, the longest tenured. He's tied with uh, 
within the state of North Carolina, that is, with Elon's Mike Kennedy. But, you know, Elliot Avent, 25th season with the Wolfpack, got that program to Omaha for the second time. I think it was 2013 when they went previously. But, um, you know, Dave, we talked about it on the show last weekend in our Super Regional preview. You know, we really thought that they had a chance to go into Fayetteville and do what they did. And, you know, they lost 21-2 and then bounced back and uh, was one of that 20 20- – 25% to uh, advance to Omaha after losing the first game of a super regional. So what were your thoughts on the Wolfpack, Ben? Yeah. So, and uh, whenever I was doing our preview show for 11.7, talked about how I thought North Carolina was a good matchup against uh, Arkansas, just because North Carolina has the star power and they have just enough to compete with anybody else in the SEC. And, and I was like, you know, I, I like, North Carolina to, or NC State to actually win the series. So I went down official pick NC State. I think it was like plus 650 for the uh, for the odds to win the series. And after losing 21 to 2, I was definitely regretting, regretting that, uh, that decision. And sure enough, they bounced back, came out to a big lead in game two, and I held on. It was close at the end. And then game three, I saw Kevin Kopp starting. I was like, okay, Arkansas is going to win this game. Gave up the early two-run homer, and then Arkansas tied it up in the bottom of the eighth. Sent back out Kevin Copps. I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to pay off. Sure enough, gave up the home run. But, no, that, that NC State club is really good. They started out really, really bad in ACC play. I think one and eight. And turned it around, and it's, it's all about just playing good baseball at the right time. And we see it every year. A team gets hot at the end of the year and just carries right. that momentum through. And – I mean, NC State was one of those teams that they were thinking about putting in as one of the 16 number one seeds. Uh, of course, they weren't going to be able to host, but maybe send them to South Carolina instead of Old Dominion or send them to Ruston as the one seed instead of Louisiana Tech. And uh, they were, sure enough, the two seed there took care of business in that Ruston regional. And I mean, they're playing really, really good baseball. They're a big physical team. And uh, I think the 11.7 Twitter account tweeted something during their run in Ruston, just like these guys are psychos. Like they just have a bunch of players that play with way too much energy and they have a lot of confidence and I could see them making a run deep into this Omaha tournament. I don't know about winning it all. Still not a hundred percent sold on them yet, but shoot, I've been wrong a lot in my life. So, <laughs> Hey, with, um, with Kevin cops in that situation, obviously he meant so much of that ball club, you know, what, like 34, 35 appearances, something insane over the course of the season. That was his first start, as you mentioned. But just talk about, uh, as a former player yourself at Mercer, uh, what would have been your perspective uh, on that? To, you know, if you were one of those pitchers, uh, and I heard a very well-respected member of the local media in Greenville uh, who was a former baseball player in the minor leagues, just saying, um, I don't know, you know, when he hadn't started all season, and then, you know, you send him back out there late. And like you said, after Arkansas had, had taken that lead, uh, what's your perspective on that if, you, if you're one of those 13 other relief pitchers or however many Arkansas had at its disposal at that point? Yeah, and um, so Dave Van Horn, the coach at Arkansas, he actually broke it down in the middle of the game, like in his like mid-game interview with the announcers in the booth. And he said, you know, he's our best bullet and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to go the whole game without using our best bullets. So we might as well start him. I know Arkansas had the idea of, okay, we're going to start him. He'll go five, six innings. We're going to hopefully have a lead by then, a big enough lead. 
and then we're going to throw whoever we need to to finish the game out. And you know, gave up the two runs, I think, in the third inning or maybe fourth inning on that two-run homer. And he settled down. I mean, he went eight-pitch inning, 11-pitch inning, like 12-pitch inning, like back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And when he finished the eighth inning, you kind of feel the momentum swing towards Arkansas. And, of course, they hit the homer on the bottom eight, tie it up. And at that point, I think you – of course, I'm not a Division One coach. But at that point, you have all the momentum. Kevin Cobb's just – left his guts out on the field, went eight innings, 111 pitches, 110 pitches, something like that. That's whenever you bring in a new arm and kind of keep that momentum there just because he was out of gas. He, he hadn't started all year. He hadn't started since 2019, I think. And he's thrown a lot. He threw two innings the game before as well. So, But they, they left the same bullet out there, and, and sure enough, he gave up a two-strike home run, which he's only given up a couple home runs all year. So you couldn't really – couldn't really count on that happening, but yeah. Um, it, when it came down to it, NC State made the big plays at the right time and, and took the series and well-deserving make a trip to Omaha. Yeah, and like quickly, you were saying, uh, in the regional, Cops had thrown, what, about 185 pitches in yeah. three, ball, three ball games, and then he, he threw yeah. 20 to 25 in game two of the Super Regional, and then what was that pitch, 114 or 115, that got hit out of the yard? Yeah, it turned out to be his last pitch of his Arkansas career too, which it sucks because, I mean, he's going to win the Golden Spikes Award this year. No questions about it. He was the best player in college baseball. The numbers he was putting up were ridiculous, and he was on the best team in the country. So, uh, I mean, hell of a season, six-year guy, was never a draft prospect really. Uh, He's worked himself into probably a top 10 round, maybe even top five round potential now, but he doesn't have overpowering stuff. Like it's just like that 92 mile hour cutter, and he has that gyro ball that comes in about 83, 84, and that really a two pit that two pitch mix. If you can locate it, you're gonna have a lot of success in the college level. And he just kept with his stuff. Didn't try to be anything he wasn't. Didn't try to throw 95, 96, and you know he made some hitters look dumb all year. Obviously, NC State taking on Stanford. Um, you know, Stanford, um, you alluded to it earlier. We didn't discuss it, though. Um, you know, going into Lubbock, Lubbock's such a tough place to play. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, anticipated the Red Raiders winning that regional, super regional, excuse me. But um, I know Aaron Fitt had really been on the Stanford bandwagon, um, and, and he really liked what the Cardinal had done. Uh, he thought they were maybe even deserving of a national seed, and they've proven that. Uh, it didn't so much surprise me that they went into Lubbock and won the Super Regional, but uh, it did surprise me the way they just went in there and throttled Texas Tech. Yeah, and I was a, I was a Stanford doubter from week one till last week. I didn't think that they played a hard schedule. I know they went the whole season without losing a series, but I mean, I wasn't sold on them. I thought they used, they only used like five or six pitchers for a majority of their innings. And the offense was kind of up and down, but it wasn't. I was shocked that they went into Lubbock and swept the regional, of course. But it was how they did it. Outscored them twenty-four to three. Texas Tech was never in any of the games. You see a lot of teams kind of fold under the the pressure of playing in Lubbock because it's hot and the fans are rowdy, and it's just like in the middle of a desert. And those guys came in, mustaches and all. Everybody on the team has a mustache now, and they. I mean, they barreled everything up. It was like they knew it was coming. It was incredible. So I actually, in the first bet I placed for tomorrow's game is I took Stanford to beat NC State. I think they come into Omaha playing 
the best baseball they've played all year. And they just have a lot of confidence and swagger about themselves. And I like Brennan Beck, who's going to be starting on the mound for Stanford tomorrow. Came in, what was he, Saturday or Friday, whatever game one was for the Super Regional. And it was 106 degrees in Lubbock. And he said, boys, were in black. So they wore black, and it was a uh, just a mindset for them. So it's going to be hot in Omaha tomorrow. Wouldn't surprise me if Stanford uh, rolls out with some black jerseys. You're starting to say, uh, Ben, you're starting to sound like the uh, the Raiders because I was going to say Oakland Raiders, but um, the Raiders, you know, having those dark uniforms, they're definitely yeah very intimidating, right? For sure. I mean, and really in college baseball, when it comes down to it, especially in the postseason, a lot of these teams are matched up talent-wise pretty similar. Of course, you have a few outliers and things, but Stanford and, and Texas Tech, similar, like, Talent-wise, we're, we're very similar, but when you have guys coming in with a plan and a little chip on their shoulder like Stanford did and just something a little extra to play for, you know, wearing the black jerseys in the heat, you know, everybody having mustaches, it's just sometimes in college, like, it's the little things that really pushes the team, like, forward and get a lot of momentum rolling. So that was a, uh, a big surprise for me. I was all over Texas Tech last weekend, and, you know, I was talking them up, saying that they're going to make another trip to Omaha. We've seen them there plenty of times, and – they were never even in any of those games. Both games, they were getting blown out first three innings. No doubt. And that that will be an interesting matchup. That's, again, what, Bubba? Is that noon tomorrow or today, rather? I'm sorry. It, say that again, Dave. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern, yeah, 2 p. 1 p.m. Central. 2 p.m. Okay. There we have at the bottom of the screen for those <laughs> watching live or certainly um, when we have it archived. It's going to be a huge matchup, and the two o'clock uh, matchup—that's uh, the two o'clock matchup. The seven o'clock matchup. I mean, the Vandy Arizona series—that's going to be really interesting. We were talking about Vandy and Arizona, um, but that'll be a lot of fun. Talk about uh, for fans like myself, we're trying to catch up on the. Obviously, we know the format of double elimination, but is it two games a day, guys? Is that the way it's going to roll? Yep, two games Saturday, two games Sunday, and then I think it's one game Monday, one game Tuesday. And I don't think we'll get two games again until maybe Wednesday or Thursday. No, no, no. It's two Monday, two Tuesday. And then I don't know. I haven't looked at the schedule. I'm, I'm doing one day at a time, to be honest. But I know it's two <laughs> games Monday, two games Tuesday, now that I think about it, because you have a winner's bracket and loser's bracket. But, yeah, it's uh, 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Eastern, both or all four days coming up. And, you so know, being, would... here, being here based out of North Carolina, you know, going back very quickly to Stanford and with what David Esker has done there uh, with the Cardinal, you know, he did such a tremendous job at Cal. And then he comes right, right basically across town, uh, not not far away to the yeah. the big rival. And uh, now is doing what he's doing, what, year four, I think, with Stanford, something like that, I, taking over for a legend like Mark Marcus. Yeah, no, and, and he's he's got the program in the right the right read because Stanford's a hard school to recruit to. Of course, they have the the baseball tradition. They were going to Omaha a ton back in the was it 80s and 90s, early 2000s. But it's tough because you have the academic requirements, um, and then of course it's expensive to go to school there, and the 11.7 scholarships don't cover a lot of that. So um, it's a tough school to re recruit for a lot of the top talent out of California end up going, getting drafted out of high school and signing. So there's a lot of obstacles that they have to overcome, but when the team that he has this year, they, they're a fun group to watch. 
obviously I didn't watch them as much as I've watched a lot of the East Coast teams just because Pac-12, the streaming services are terrible, but that's a different story. Um, but yeah, I've watched them throughout the regional, throughout the super regional, and they're playing really, really good baseball. Talk about that was a, Sorry, Dave, go ahead. I was just going to make a quick point. In 2019, uh, when East Carolina traveled out to UCLA, Bubba, do you remember that? Where I mean, UCLA is one of the biggest schools in the country, and you couldn't even watch those games streaming on their local or their website or anything like that. Yeah, it, was, it, was, what, it was pretty it was funny, terrible. Man, uh, I know you remember the name Bryant Packard. Oh, yeah. I know Bryant well, Packard. Well, oh, yeah. Well, Pac, Pac's dead, John. Um, you know, due to UCLA, like Dave said, just totally uh, unable to understand why they didn't have a live stream, you know, Facebook, YouTube or something, even if it's just one camera, it's inexcusable for a Pac-12 school, especially one like, like UCLA. Like yeah. So good, ranked number one in the country, I believe at that time. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, John Packard came to the rescue and I think he had something like 650 or 700 people viewing his Facebook live stream. (laughs) That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, it's a joke about UCLA and a lot of the PAC 12 schools. They have, if they do have a streaming service, it's, it's free, but it's one camera right behind home plate about 85 feet away. And it's just a joke. I mean, they could do so much better and they need to do so much better. No question about it. Being uh, our school, East Carolina, I'm very proud of um, with our with our streaming, and they do an excellent job. Before, even before the ESPN Plus days mm-hmm. on ECPirates.com, they've been doing that for a long time. Those guys are, I mean, be professional is an understatement, right, Bubba? The great job that they do. Yeah, the last few years, it's really improved. Um, prior to that, you know, we had one camera as well, but on the last right. few seasons, it's gotten much better but um you know going back ben you were talking about that arizona offense and how potent they are and last weekend in their victories over Ole miss they scored nine runs and 16 runs so just um you know dive a little bit deeper if you can into that uh, matchup with kumar rocker yeah and so arizona's offense i believe is averaging something like eight and a half runs a game i mean you look you look through their schedule and it's double digits, double digits, double digits. And it's crazy because they're led by their two best hitters at both freshmen. Uh, and Jacob Berry, the, the guy, he hits two in the order. Freshman, I think he has 18 home runs now and just real power. Um, but the thing about the Arizona offense that a lot of people are overlooking is like they don't strike out a ton. They put the ball in play and they really use like the big part of the field, like left center, right center, dead center. And I think they're going to play really well at TD Ameritrade because of the, the big gaps there. They put the ball in play. And now Kumar Rocker's got a lot on his plate here because Arizona's going to foul off a lot of pitches. They're going to take some close strikes. Um, and if we if they can get into that Vanderbilt bullpen, you know, close game, sixth, seventh inning, the moment they put somebody else out there, I mean, Vanderbilt, I mean Arizona's going to tee off on them. I really do think that. So, that, that was my second bet was I actually took Arizona as an underdog today uh, for tomorrow's game. I think that they're going to play well at that field. I think they're going to hang around just long enough. And then late in the game, they're going to come out and win the game with a, with a clutch hit, maybe a double in the gap, clear the bases. Um, but yeah, just, just look for Kumar Rocker. His pitch count is going to be high. I think all day, just because Arizona doesn't give up any you know cheap outs. They don't, they don't swing on the first pitch. Like a lot of these teams do. And they'll foul foul balls off with two strikes, work the count deep, till they can get a hit 
until they can get a pitch they can drive. And uh, I really think Arizona is going to shock a lot of people. And I think the Pac-12 is going to shock a lot of people um, going back to Stanford. We saw it kind of in the NCAA basketball tournament this year. Not a lot of people knew what to expect from the Pac-12 because they did mostly in-conference stuff and, and not a lot of exposure on TV or anything. And then they come out in the NCAA basketball tournament and they win. I think they won like 11 of their first 12 games in the NCAA basketball tournament with like three teams in the three or four teams in the Sweet 16. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm expecting here. Now looking back at the postseason through regionals and super regionals, like the Pac-12 is really dang good. They're they're a very good very good conference. And a lot of people have been sleeping on them, so. I'm I'm excited to see what these Pac-12 teams match up against ACC and SEC teams. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, let's transition over to Sunday's games. So the first game on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, you have um, UVA making its first trip back to Omaha since winning it all in 2015. And that's a program, you know, the Cavs have been so consistent under Brian O'Connor um, that, any drop off at all was going to surprise people probably. And, um, and they hadn't been as consistent since then. Um, this is the first time they've won a regional since 2015. And, um, and they had missed the tournament at least once, maybe a couple times in that stretch. But um, just talk about them. Uh, they were one of the teams that was really hot entering the tournament. They go down to Columbia. Um, they take out Old Dominion in game seven of that regional. And then when the Dallas Baptist, or excuse me, win the Columbia Super Regional against Dallas Baptist in three games. And that was an excellent, excellent series between those two clubs. Yeah, I, I think it's funny how Virginia's gotten to Omaha because they have one of the most dynamic starting pitchers in the country that not a lot of people have heard about. But Andrew Abbott, the lefty starter they have, it's like almost two strikeouts an inning. I mean, electric stuff. And they've actually lost both of his starts in the postseason. And they're 6-0 and in games that he does not start. So they're 6-0 in elimination games, lost the first game of the regional um, against South Carolina, and where South Carolina made a nice comeback. And then they lost game one of the Super Regional against Dallas Baptist when he started. And then you know they came back, won back-to-back days. So a team like Virginia definitely is an outlier. Now, if you go back to the first episode of the 11.7 podcast this year, um, I actually – pick Virginia as a sleeper to win the whole thing. I thought that talent-wise on the roster, they were really good, experienced, a lot of guys that are very versatile. And you know, I said, you know, this is a team that nobody's going to be talking about that could win it all. And when you look at the middle of March, people were like, dude, that's a terrible pick. Virginia's terrible this year. They're not good. They're not even going to make the postseason. And then they kind of pulled the whole NC State thing where they turned the whole season around by winning a few conference weekends in a row. And then they come into the tournament hot and get a pretty – I'm not going to say an easy draw, but you get Old Dominion, South Carolina in a regional, and then you get Dallas Baptist in a super regional. Not the hardest schedule. I mean, there's there's been a lot harder schedules out there. And East Carolina, Vandy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And uh, so Virginia, Virginia kind of proved me wrong a lot because, if anything, I would say they would win Andrew Abbott starts and lose the rest, but they've done the opposite of that. Now, with Virginia, like who's going to be the ones to knock them out? They're 6-0 in elimination games. Someone's going to have to knock them out to get you know, in the loser or get out of the loser's bracket. So, I don't know. But Tennessee's going to start a guy, Chad Dallas, tomorrow, who had 12 strikeouts against, um, against LSU in his game one start in only six innings. 
And he apparently is supposed to be like the funniest guy in college baseball, like a huge personality, uh, gives great interviews. And but he's going to be ready. He's a big time performer and like big time of events, like primetime games. He shows up well. And Tennessee just kind of feels like a team of destiny this year as far as you know, getting on the scene, making their noise and you know, continuing the success. But if there's one disadvantage to Tennessee is they kind of live and die by the long ball and kind of capitalizing on, on people's mistakes. Well, there's not going to be a ton of mistakes defensively in this NCAA um, College World Series because a lot of these teams are in the top of the fielding percentage and they don't make a lot of errors and it's hard to hit a ball over the fence. And those are the two advantages. So Tennessee might struggle in this college world series, or they could be that team of destiny and win it all. Um, but I think that t- Sunday's game, the 2 PM game, Virginia and Tennessee is going to really show who like a contender is and who's a pretender. And of course, like Virginia might lose this game and then go on and win the losers bracket all the way through like they've done before. But um, I think it's going to be a really, really competitive game. A lot of strikeouts between both starting pitchers. Uh, I'm excited to see both of those guys go to work. Yeah, to your point about Tennessee's bats, um, the Vols have hit 98 home runs and 133 doubles, and mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're slugging just shy of 480. Oh, I know, and their lineup is deadly. They got some real, real talented bats in that lineup. And it starts with like their leadoff guy. I, I just blanked on his name, but he's from Australia. What is his name? Oh, I'll think of it here in a second. But I mean, he's the table setter, and he's always on base. I think he has more. I think he has way more walks and strikeouts this year. Liam Liam Spence. Yeah, I think that that's the name that came to my head. Liam Spence. That's what I'm going with. It's definitely, it's <laughs> definitely Liam. I believe that's correct. This yeah, <laughs> but he's I, a stud. I, know, I, know the, I remember the Liam part. Yeah, he's a stud. And then I mean, you go all the way down the order, and you got like. Uh, Lupicius or whatever his name is hitting seventh and he could be hitting cleanup in any other SEC lineup so um, and then uh, the whole Tony, Tony Vitello effect that guy just won coach of the year in, in, in NCAA uh, young energetic coach is built is building what I think is going to be the next you know empire in the SEC as far as getting stadium renovations done year in year out competing for SEC titles uh, Tony Vitello is my opinion, probably top five coach in the country right now. And he's going to have his boys ready. And I'm excited to watch Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee, that's that program prior to uh, Vitello taking over, obviously. I mean, they had had a good year here and there under Dave Serrano and different, Mm -hmm. maybe Todd Riley, not so much. But, uh, you know, prior to that, from like 1990 to 2007, under Rod Delmonico, uh, he had won nearly 700 ball games and got them to Omaha three times. So this is a program that, even though they haven't had a ton of success recently, uh, has had success um, at times over the last few decades. And, uh, you know, taking a look at the, the club um, with Vitello, um, you know, during, during uh, one of those – I guess his late season series. Uh, whenever they had Arkansas come there to Knoxville, that was pretty <laughs> entertaining. That little exchange between Vitello and Dave, oh, yeah. Dave Van Horn. No, that was fun, and, and they used to coach together too. Like Vitello used to be an assistant under Dave Van Horn, and they were not happy with each other. It was a it was a pretty heated discussion, but I loved it. Uh, I thought that Vitello didn't like something that Arkansas did and he stood up for his guys. And that's just the kind of coach he is. He stands up for his guys and not afraid to go to war. So uh, what he's doing over there at Tennessee is great. I mean, Tennessee is really turning into like a baseball school now. 
And it's just like one by one, we're seeing more and more baseball schools, which ultimately will help the game of college baseball you know, continue to progress. Is that what you're saying about East Carolina? I mean, East Carolina, they've been, uh, you guys have been dominant for how long now? I mean, it's baseball school, right? I mean, of course, everybody's going to say football school, but when it really comes down to it, I think East Carolina straight baseball school. What do you yeah, think, they, Yeah, obviously, um, like Ben said, a lot of folks, and just because it's the most visible, um, even though college baseball is getting more exposure than ever before, um, you know, just in the sheer numbers of it, most folks would say football. But um, if you look at the numbers, championships won, uh, it would definitely um, point toward baseball out of the big three sports, hand, hands down. It's not even mm-hmm. close. But um, let's let's hope that uh, Mike Houston and staff um, will, you know, do some things to change that here in uh, you know, the upcoming years. We, you know, kind of shifting gears to that 7 p.m. game, uh, Texas. Uh, David Pierce has done such an excellent job there. Uh, just talk, you know, what are your thoughts on the Longhorns? Uh, USF gave them everything they wanted, even though it just went two games. and They went to Austin and competed. Right. And it's no, it's no like, uh, no surprise to say that like Texas had a very cupcake schedule for the postseason. I mean, I, I went back when I first saw the bracket released, I was seeing Fairfield as a three seed and Arizona State as a two seed. I instantly thought, you know, Arizona State deserves to be a three seed, not a two seed. And Fairfield deserves, if to be in the tournament, they should be a four seed. And so they ultimately had two four seeds, in my opinion, and then a three seed in their regional. And then they get gifted South Florida, who was a four seed in their regional. And I'll tell you guys this, the Big 12 in this postseason, if you take out Texas's like cakewalk that they've been on, They've been getting beat up pretty good. Like Texas Tech struggled big time against Stanford in the Super Regional. Oklahoma State got smacked around in the Arizona Regional. Uh, and then you had um, – who's the team I'm forgetting? Uh, TCU losing in their Regional to Dallas Baptist and Oregon State. So I'm not sold on the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is kind of a fraud this year as far as um, where we thought they were. A lot of people were overhyping the Big 12 all year. And now with this matchup against Mississippi State, the first game of the college baseball regular season was Mississippi State, Texas, and Arlington for that, you know, Arlington State Farm showdown, whatever they called it. And Mississippi State came out and beat Ty Madden once. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out and beat him again, just seeing him for a second time. Now, Ty Madden is going to be a first-round draft pick for Texas, big, righty, throwing 97, 98, got up to 99 in the Super Regional. I mean, he's an electric arm, but the Mississippi State's one of those teams that's very comfortable in Omaha. They have a mission. They need to try to win a champ- national championship to kind of solidify their – I'm not going to say solidify their legacy in college baseball but because like, they have one of the most storied programs in college baseball. But those guys are out to win a national championship, and if Mississippi State jumps out to a lead against Ty Madden, like they have Landon Sims sitting in the back of the bullpen that's ready to go four innings who's – struck out over half the hitters he's faced this year. So it's going to be a tough matchup for, for Texas, of course. But then again, like it wouldn't surprise me if Ty Madden went out there and, and slammed the door for seven innings and kind of put this Mississippi State offense, who has struggled a lot sometimes, and their relief pitching has struggled a lot sometimes. And even starting pitching has struggled a lot this time, or a lot of times. Uh, it's the same team that lost two games in Hoover in the SEC tournament and got run-ruled both games. Like They've had weaknesses, but... 
I just my gut instinct just tells me the the Big Twelve kind of some frauds this year, and uh, you know it's really up to Texas to kind of prove everybody wrong because everybody else is sitting at home. Well, yeah. I guess you won't be invited to the Big Twelve uh, commissioners. <laughs> That's all right. I'll live. <laughs> hey, now, Ben, uh, you take a look at um, Mississippi State. And the Bulldogs have been to Omaha twelve times. Um, one of those programs has probably been to Omaha. Uh, an awful lot and not won it. I mean, you also, you know, Florida State comes to mind. I think they've been something like 22 or 23 times, mm-hmm. if not more, and never won it all those years under Mike Martin. But um, why could Mississippi State, uh, you mentioned Landon Sims, but um, why could this be the year for the Bulldogs? I mean, if this is the year for the Bulldogs, you got to point to the two guys at the top of the order uh, Rowdy Jordan, Tanner Allen, two guys that have been postseason heroes since they stepped on campus and this is going to be their third time in Omaha and only their fourth year and those guys have the experience Mississippi State they have I mean they have the pieces to make a run and of course I think that they had a very very tough draw with Notre Dame in their super regional and the home field advantage played a big part in why I think they won that series because Notre Dame gave them everything that they uh, that they needed and more. Um, I thought Notre Dame deserved to be a national seed, and of course they weren't. And Mississippi State they won a game. They won game one because Notre Dame made four errors, and then they won game three um, pretty. Li- or I guess they they blew them out. But I don't know. Like this Mississippi State team is so hot and cold that if they if they're the hot Mississippi State team team we saw in the middle part of the season who I think got up to number two in the rankings for a while. I mean, of course they can win the national championship. I mean, we've seen teams a lot worse win national championships in college baseball by just being hot at the right time. Um, but it, it, it's going to come down to starting pitching. Um, McCloy, or what's his name? McLeod, sorry, I always mispronounce his name. The lefty is starting pitcher. He's been shaky sometimes. And then they got Will Bednar, who's starting game one for him tomorrow night, who kind of relies on swinging misses with his fastball not great off-speed pitches and Texas's lineup this year actually has a lot of power versus a lot of Texas teams we've seen in the past uh, under like Augie Garrido and stuff so it's going to be like that game of course is going to be everybody's number one game to watch just because you have two very very strong fan bases with story traditions and I don't know it's going to come down to like SEC versus Big 12 was a Big 12 frauds. Is SEC really that good? I think the SEC kind of got exposed a little bit um, in regionals and super regionals because everybody thought they were just going to run through everything. But they uh, they only made they only got three teams to Omaha, and a lot of people were suspecting five five plus four five plus. Another well, interesting nugget, very quickly, Dave, as our viewers see scrolling across the bottom of the screen, there five of this year's eight teams, uh, you know, have have won the national championship, NC State, Mississippi State, and then also Tennessee. Those three have not. Um, so they're looking to uh, obviously dogpile in Omaha for the first time. But, uh, you know, of those five who have won national championships, Virginia is the only one that hasn't won multiple national championships. So, you know, there's a lot of um, very storied and tradition-rich programs like like Texas, Arizona, et cetera, in this year's field. Yeah, we've seen a lot of these teams win it recently, too. I mean, going back to Arizona winning it in, what, 2012-ish? Yeah, they won, they won it, it in 2012 because that's yeah, against South Carolina. Carolina was trying to three-peat. 
Yeah, they, and they won it. Then they lost to Coastal Carolina in Game Three back in 2016. Uh, and of course, we've seen Vanderbilt win it. We've seen Virginia win it in 2015. Um, I mean, a lot of these have been like recent, a lot of recent success here in this College World Series. But um, I don't know. I mean, this could be the year that either Mississippi State, Tennessee, or NC State wins it and, and gets to join that party of national champions. It'll be a lot of fun, no doubt about it, with the College World Series. But it's going to be even sweeter when East Carolina uh, makes it. And uh, we have a, a big show, and we'll have it from the that sports bar that Othello said. We want to have you stop by. Maybe oh, have course. some higher beverages. You know, we're going to have a lot of fun. I don't know if it's next year when it'll be, but it'll be interesting to see if we have a coach or if we have a new coach. Um, obviously, we're running out of time, but we'll have a few more minutes left with you. If uh, we do lose uh, Coach Godwin, who would you go after if you're if you're John Gilbert, if you're East Carolina? So you, you got to get somebody who – I think you go either after an SEC assistant or an ACC assistant or even Big 12 assistant, something like that, someone that you know is looking to get their first head coaching job that's young and passionate and somebody that you can have around for you know eight-plus years. Um, or you go after a guy that maybe has been to Omaha a lot, someone that is – possibly retired or on the outside of retiring um like pat casey comes to mind from oregon state who's kind of hinting at maybe getting back into coaching baseball again uh you go after you go after those guys hard they might bite and uh you get them for two or three four years until the next big name comes along but i don't know i mean I, there's just so many or i mean you could also go a different approach and go get go after like a, a mid-major program head coach who um has had a lot of success i mean there's a lot of different routes to go with but off the top of my head, I, I would probably just go with someone like a high-level assistant coach who knows how to run a successful program that just needs time to, uh, you know, get to a position, find his school, and stay there for a long time. And obviously, we're just speaking in hypotheticals. Right, right, right. Of because, course, yes. Because the Cliff Godwin's still our coach, and hopefully that will uh, remain um, going into the fall. But uh, – you know, this is one of those things that just, you know, sport and sports talk guys. And this is something that, uh, you know, you, that you, you have to bat around. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, w- one of the things that here in the local media and then also, you know, guys that I talk to um, throughout the throughout the region, they say Jeff Palumbo, associate head coach. And he's a guy yep. that, you know, has garnered some interest from CAA type programs and mm-hmm. different ones and chosen to stay. Um, as a member of Cliff Godwin's staff, has been there for the duration since um, 2014, in the, that summer of 2014. And, uh, you know, another guy who comes to mind, obviously you're going to hear names like Bryant Ward, who played for Coach LeClaire um, and is top assistant out there at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very common name that you would hear. And then even names like Eric Backich at Mission, who played for Coach LeClaire. And uh, then Link Jarrett at Notre Dame, but mm-hmm. especially, especially Backage because of his tie to the program. And, uh, you know, maybe obviously Michigan has very deep pockets, but, you know, maybe he would be willing to accept the call home and uh, we can pay him enough where it's comparable to, to what he's making there at Michigan, where he would be interested. And uh, somebody else that you haven't heard mention a ton, but I was talking to someone tonight and I wholeheartedly agree he would be on on my list is um, Chris Pollard at Duke. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he may, may not be interested. He may want to stay at Duke. Uh, but 
you know, he's done such a tremendous job at App State and Duke. It wouldn't hurt to reach out and gauge his interest. For sure. I mean, those are all really, really good names. And I like the Link Jarrett thing. I know he's from North Carolina. Uh, used to coach at UNC uh, Greensboro. Um, now, I don't know as far as, like, I'm sure he's got much bigger plans. And I know he's going to be in the mix for possibly the LSU job or if right. Ole Miss opens up, he might be a big name there. Um, but, you know, going back home to, to North Carolina doesn't sound too bad for him. Uh, I know his kid's playing at NC State, and he's going to be up here in Omaha this weekend. But uh, if, if, you're, if you're him, Link Jarrett, how like how long are you going to stay at Notre Dame? Are you are you there to build a you know dynasty in the ACC? Are you are you there to you know use it for a, I don't know like a leap like a leapfrog move move somewhere else to establish something better? I don't know, but it's an interesting you, name. Link Jared is someone obviously you have Mike Martin Jr. there early on in his tenure at Florida State, and they made a regional this year. But down the road, um, should that not work out? Uh, Link Jarrett was an All-American shortstop at Florida State. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, played in multiple College World Series, I believe, with the Seminoles. So that's someone to keep an eye on with them, you know, much like, um, you know, down the road. And, uh, we're, you know, we're talking way down the road here because Scott Forbes at, in North Carolina, he led that program to a regional and is um, very well-respected and, uh, you know, rightfully so with everything he's done as a member of Mike Fox's staff prior to taking over. But um, with what Robert Woodard did at Charlotte, um, you know, that's something to think about down the road, yeah. down the road as well with him being North Carolina's all time winning his pitcher. For sure. No doubt. We'll have to see how that plays out. And um, we hope obviously Cliff Godwin stays, but if not, he's uh, definitely left the program better than it was. Um, and when I say better than it was, it's not like things have been, he just, it's like each coach is really cool. Uh, ben, before we let you go, it's like there's like a step. And I know that uh, not to be a spoiler alert to Bubba, but uh, the guys at Notre Dame, it's kind of like the way I look at East Carolina right now, guys, is that I'll say this, and um, it's kind of like with East Carolina, we were like a regional team, Ben. was like we're a regional team, regional team, regional team. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but then you have uh, now I think we've made that next step where we're super regional team, super regional team, super regional team. And then it's just about um, getting to that next step. Making like, it like, to Omaha. Like, yep. Yeah. So we appreciate you very much for the time. I know that you've uh, given us way more than we expected, but you're you're the best. And how can people <laughs> follow your work? I know it's on our screen, but for those listening as far as social media, how can they find your work and, of course, your podcast? Yeah. And so I just always direct people to our Twitter page. It's just at 11, P-O-I-N-T-7, 11.7. And uh, we just try to put out like good content out there for people. And then the podcast links are all there, but no, like going back to what you're saying, like, I mean, I love coming on this show. You guys do a really good job. Um, got, you know, I mean, what we're doing this at one, yeah, 3 a.m. Like and this is, this is definitely worth it for me, but no, I appreciate what you guys do. Hopefully you guys make a trip up here to Omaha. Cause I think it's coming soon. It, it has to be right. You just keep getting the, the bad draws and the super regionals, but it is like known East Carolina super regional team now, not just regional team. And you guys are in the right direction. Hopefully coach Godwin stays um, because I think he's just right there on the cusp of making big things happen, like going to Omaha, making deep Omaha runs. And, you know, if coastal Carolina can win a national championship, East Carolina can easily win one too. Um, those things happen. So 
Um, but I will be I will be sweating tomorrow a lot <laughs> in Omaha. It's going to be hot. Well, no doubt, we'll be uh, enjoy your time there, Ben. And uh, you know, we look forward. Uh, I know you said you may potentially be going back out there uh, mm-hmm. after after having to return home. So we we'd love to uh, you know maybe before the championship series or something check back in with you. Let's do it. I'm always down. All right, man. Get some sleep, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> appreciate it, guys. You guys have a good one. All right, you too. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. All right. That's Ben Upton. Appreciate him very much. And, Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No. Um, considering it's, you know, 145 Eastern time, yeah, uh, time to go I'd to say it's probably a good time to get some rest. No doubt. And my uh, son, Alexander, has a, a practice uh, here in a handful of hours, so – Got to get the kids up and practice uh, baseball brunch. It won't be with Bubba, unfortunately, but uh, I'll be out there at the field and we'll have a great time. And appreciate everybody listening and, and watching. Bubba, thanks so much for all your hard work and getting Ben uh, there in, in Omaha at the College World Series. And until next time, folks, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Good night, everybody. Go Pirates. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom!